Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And as always, if you want to go beyond this podcast and join our community of like-minded vegan entrepreneurs, and yes, you are an entrepreneur, even if you don't admit it yet, then Lisa and I would absolutely love if you headed over to the Vegan Business Tribe website and signed up to be part of our tribe too. Because if you're a regular listener to this podcast, then you will know that we are on a mission. And that mission is to get rid of the vegan label on our businesses. Now, hang on a moment. Didn't I mean to say that our mission is to promote vegan businesses? Well, why should our businesses have to be the ones with a label? Why should we have to point out that we have companies that don't contribute to the harm or suffering of animals? Surely, It should be the businesses that do that need to come with a warning, not a vegan business that needs to carry a label. But to make that happen, we need to help vegan businesses, so people just like you, to step up and skill up to make vegan business the new normal. So no matter where your company is right now, What difference would it make to the world if all of us with vegan businesses just doubled in size and turnover? Imagine that. What difference would it make to the vegan business scene? What difference would that make to the vegan cause itself? And what if we all tripled in size? Well, businesses, in fact, do that all the time. Some people build businesses that are designed to scale up fast. And in today's podcast, we're talking to one of those people. But the interview I'm going to share with you is actually taken from the members only section of the Vegan Business Tribe website. So, In our courses and collections section that is usually only accessible to full Vegan Business Tribe members, not only do we have our amazing marketing course on how to promote a vegan business, but one of our video collections is about how to scale up a vegan business. And what I would say is if you find this interview really useful, then we've got two others in the same series. One with Zoe Henderson, the founder of Function, which is a vegan alcohol-free craft beer, which is absolutely amazing as well. And she scaled Function up really fast in that first 12 months. And also, we've got another video with Tom Bursnell, who is the founder of the Miami Burger that you can buy in supermarkets and find on the menus of pubs and restaurants across the UK. And what all these vegan businesses have in common is that they started out with the mission to scale up really fast, to have a real impact on the world, not just to pay the founder's wage. 
But I wanted to especially share this interview with Chris Kong, the founder of Better Nature, because Chris and his team, they really came together with the mission to grow fast. And it doesn't matter if you are a food company or if you sell a service or even if you run a charity. There is a lot that you will take away from this session about having what we call a growth mindset. Because Chris had their products listed in more than 50 retailers just within a couple of months of launching. They were in over 100 retailers within six months, and now they're listed in several hundred independent stores across the country. Earlier this year, Better Nature successfully crowdfunded over £1.5 million to fund the next stage of their roadmap, and the company is now valued at over £5.5 million in value. All within two years of launching, and all with a product that most people in the West have never heard of or tried. Tempeh. So, how can you do this? What makes Chris different to you? Well, to be honest, not a lot. Now, Chris is a great guy, but he's only in his 20s. He hadn't had a lot of experience in business, but what he did know was that before he launched Better Nature, his number one goal was to try and make it fail. Now, this sounds so counterproductive, but as Chris himself puts it, the mindset of any good entrepreneur, and remember, yes, you are an entrepreneur, should be to try and kill an idea as soon as possible. Before you commit five or even ten years of your life trying to make an idea work, first, make sure that it isn't destined for a dead end. And that's exactly what they did. But instead of me going into that in more detail to explain, let's just get into this and let Chris explain in his own words. And as I said, if you're a Vegan Business Tribe member, then you can also watch the video version of this, as well as our other interviews in the Scale Up series in the courses and collection area on the website. So let's find out more. So I'm joined today by Chris Kong, who is the co-founder of Better Nature. Now, how are you doing today, Chris? Very well, thanks. The sun is shining. (laughs) It's a Friday. What's there not to like? Before we start, Chris, how would you explain what Better Nature does? Yeah, uh, I guess simply put, Best Nature is all about making protein without compromise. And by that, we mean without compromising people, without compromising the environment, and without compromising animals, of course. And we do that by producing all natural, delicious, and nutritious meat alternatives made using tempeh, this fermented food that originated in Indonesia 300 years ago. Absolutely. And now it's interesting when you talk about tempeh, because I'm currently reading Seth Tibbet's book on how he started mm. tofu, Yeah, about how he started tofurkey in the US. I don't know if you've read it yourself, but he started with tempeh. And yes. it's, it's not an easy thing to make, and it's really not an easy thing to sell either. So out of all the foods you could have built a company around, why tempeh? Yeah, so uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Seth. So Seth has actually has been a longtime champion of the brand. Um, and we went traveling around Indonesia together, actually, uh, wow. you know, obviously before the pandemic. Um, but yes, you know, why tempeh? Well, tempeh, which is a food that I fell in love with. Um, and 
it, the idea actually came from one of our co-founders, Amadeus, who grew up in Indonesia. He, you know, he lived there for 20 odd years. And then he went to the US to study his PhD on tempeh fermentation. And his aim was really to take tempeh into the mainstream. He wanted to get more and more people to appreciate this really humble, yet super delicious, super nutritious, and obviously all natural, um, you know, food product, basically, not even a meat alternative, just a food product that Indonesians have been enjoying for centuries. And um, when we met at this somewhat random, you know, chance event uh, that was hosted at the University of Cambridge, he, he just bowled me over by his passion and his love for tempeh. And at, at, at that time, I was a transitioning vegan, and I've never heard of tempeh before, but all the attributes he was describing about it were just so immense. I, I you know, I, I felt that I had to go and try this out for myself in Indonesia. So I went out and yeah, the rest is history. It is just super nutritious, so delicious, so versatile, um, and, and, and so simple, which, which is part of its charm and part of its unique, I guess, USP. Absolutely. And I will declare an interest for I am a huge fan of tempeh myself. <laughs> we, we have been using it quite a lot more than um, tofu recently because it does just hold the flavor of what you're cooking really well. It takes on the flavor of whatever sauce you've got, whatever stock you've got. And, and like you say, it's a very versatile uh, foodstuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm basically half tempeh at this point. <laughs> I eat tempeh at least every every day. Um, yeah. I thought you were going to say I, I eat tempeh at least every hour. <laughs> Okay, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Okay, so before we jump into talking about Better Nature as a company, uh, what I'm really interested in to start with is I know that you're ethically vegan yourself, um, mm. you know, and veganism, with us being vegan business tribe, it is the thing that, you know, binds us all together. It is our common cause. So mm. I wonder if you could just tell me uh, just for a minute or two a little bit about your own vegan journey. How did you first become vegan yourself? Yeah, it's, it's, it's it was a long journey and it started really in about, early 2018. So quite recent, to be honest. Um, but at that time I was, you know, just, you know, at the time I was at university and I was training, um, to fight for, so I went to university at Oxford. I was training to fight actually, um, in the varsity boxing match against Cambridge. Yeah. And part of that meant that I had to qualify for the light welterweight class. And for those that don't know, being a light welterweight is 140 pounds. Um, and I'm not a terribly small, well, I'm not a terribly large person either, obviously, um, but I'm not a terribly small person. So it was actually quite a challenge for me to lose that weight. And part, part of that process, obviously on top of training loads, meant that I had to spend loads and loads of time focusing on my diet. And it was in that process that I was, you know, not only understanding all the macros and calories, et cetera, but I started getting really interested in where my food came from. And that's when it dawned on me, you know, uh, yeah, that's when it dawned on me just how corrupt, right, the, the, the meat industry is and just how awful it is and how, um, yeah, just how terrible it, it has been in sort of brainwashing people to think that this is, you know, the only way or this is the true way of, of living a healthy life. Um, so I, first of all, I cut off beef immediately. Um, and basically the, the idea, the ethical idea in my mind was that I shouldn't be eating an animal that I wasn't myself prepared to kill. Mm. Right. That was sort of the thing that sort of lodged my head and that made perfect sense in, in my crazy brain. It just made perfect sense, you know? And 
But then, so so I went on to white meats, but then I realized, well, I can't kill, I can't really kill a pig either. So I went off pork. And I was like, well, realistically, if you put a chicken in front of me, I'm not going to kill it either. So I went off chicken and then fish. And then before you know it, I was vegetarian. You know, that happened really quite quick. It happened over a few months. Um, and then obviously, you know, cutting out dairy, cutting out eggs required a little bit more education. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still the same suffering. At the end of the day, it's still um, the same animal at the, at the other end that's being, you know, well, for lack of a better word, tortured. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be involved in that suffering and that harm. So drop that, you know, maybe a few months after. And I think, you know, being introduced to tempeh in the summer of 2018 just made that whole transition super, super easy. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree with that more. Okay. So th- that's a brilliant place to start because as I said, <laughs> it's the thing that binds us all together, but talking about education, we, we've had a little chat about tempeh and why tempeh, but I'm guessing that much of your education um, has had to be towards your customer of how they can use tempeh. And one of the th- reasons that I'm a fan of, of Better Nature is you found some really innovative ways of presenting your product, of presenting tempeh. You've got the mints, you've got the rashers, as, as well as, you know, the blocks and things like that. You're almost presenting like-for-like familiar products. Yes, absolutely. And um, based on the success of the mints and the rashers, we've actually double-clicked on that, and we're just about to launch a new range of products that is that, you know, that, as you said, is that like for like. So we've got our Southern style barbecue ribs. Um, we've got our shawarma spice kebab strips. We've got our t- traditional and tender roast bites. And we've got our sweet and smoky rashes launching just in June. So super, super excited about that. And, and is that really important then? I mean, we, you know, in, in vegan food especially, we do talk about like for like, that if you, mm. um, you know, if you're just selling to vegans as such, that's quite a small percentage of the marketplace. It might be something like 2%. But if you look at the large, um, you know, plant-based protein companies like Beyond Meat, they tell us that 93% of their consumers, they're not vegan, they're not even vegetarian, they're meat eaters who are just looking to eat less. So mm. ha- has it been important to your journey to actually develop these very familiar replacement products? Yeah, I guess it, it, it's twofold, right? So one is that, you know, we've sort of, <laughs> after one and a half years of working in this, you know, trying to build this brand, trying to push this business forward, um, it has not, you know, uh, sort of gone un- unnoticed that most people don't know what tempeh is, right? Um, I-, I would probably ballpark it as like 95% of the average UK population. So yeah, 95% of the UK population has no idea what tempeh is. Um, so how do we get tempeh, right? Which on paper is this super delicious, super nutritious food product to these customers that have no idea what tempeh is, well, you start off by basically, yeah, formulating products that these customers are aware of, right? And you introduce, so, so you, you use something familiar and you introduce something new to bring something new to market. If you were to go for, you know, just pure, plain tempeh, that's a completely new product. You know, customers have no idea what to do with it. Um, they'll have to marinate it themselves. They'll have to look online. The barrier to entry to getting that product for most consumers is really, really high, especially if you've never heard of tempeh yeah. before, never been to Indonesia, never been served it in a restaurant. However, if you were to introduce it as, for example, ribs, but, oh, it just so happens to be made out of tempeh. Oh, what is this tempeh thing? Wow, these ribs taste delicious. Oh, tempeh is this fermented. Ah, okay. Ah, I get you now. All right. So, so that sort of selling 
is much easier because you sort of spearhead that certain with, with something that's familiar, something that's common, something that's, um, yeah. And, and, and really, you know, humans, we hate things that are new, generally speaking. Anything that's new terrifies us. We have an innate, you know, uh, visceral reaction against something that's new, and that is stay away, right? Or to treat with caution. So if we were able to sort of pad that with something that's familiar, like, for example, ribs or rashes or roast bites, then, um, yeah, that just makes it much easier. Yeah. And you've made a really important point there, actually, you know, because so often we're not our consumer, but we forget that a lot of the time. You know, we, mm. we think that everyone thinks like us. So if we love a product, everyone else has got them, you know, love a product as well. But that's why it's so important, especially with plant based alternatives to give people that entry point, you know, to actually be able to funnel people in to give them an easy way to try your product. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess that's one element. And yeah, obviously, the second element is to mm. tap in to the much bigger market of, of flexitarians. But for us, it's never really been about making true replicas. You know, we, we applaud the other brands that make true replicas and they do that fantastically well, fantastically well. The truth of the story is that, you know, tempeh will never taste or never have the same texture as beef or chicken, but tempeh has its own unique texture, has its own unique flavor, um, and has its own unique attributes, which these other meat alternatives don't. So, Instead, we just celebrate that fact, you know, what the, the target, our target customer is really that health conscious flexitarian. And we know that that health conscious flexitarian, that environmental, environmentally conscious health flexitarian as well is driving the growth of this meat free category, not necessarily your diehard meat eaters that are making, I don't know, um, trying it out as a novelty. It's the people that are really making that switch because of health, um, more conscious reasons. Absolutely. So let, let's talk about the actual business side of this, because that's what we're really interested in today, because I know that Better Nature, you're already stocked in about 220 mainly independent health food shops across the country. But tell me, how did you first get started on the sales? So how did you get that very first person to give you their money for a pack of tempeh? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a really good. Yeah, it's a really good question. I guess um, looking back, I think the story really started sort of in the summer of 2019. So we had, you know, created a team, we've created a business plan, we got our first round of investment in. Um, and at this point, it was just all about testing the market. You know, I think um, one thing that I'd like to say that we did quite well in 2019, even before our, our products were, you know, ready to scale and, you know, um, before we had any sort of formal contracts in place with any co-manufacturers, was that we just went out. And we tested the market and we tried to get as much customer feedback as possible. Um, so we went to events like the Just V show or, you know, VegFest, and both of which were in London to just get customers feedback. And because I guess my idea was I want to kill this idea as soon as possible. And I think that's really what any sort of good entrepreneur, that's the mindset of any good entrepreneur, you know, um, before you commit five, 10 years of your life to this venture, just try to get rid of it. <laughs> you know, um, at that time I was, you know, 22, 23. Uh, I didn't want to then spend my twenties pursuing something that was ultimately destined for a dead end. You know, I, I, if I was going to commit my next 10 years to something, I want to commit to something that actually had a future. So, um, for me, the mission of 2019 was test, test, test. And 
if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out, right? Obviously work as hard as I possibly can to try and make things work, but if it doesn't work out, it is what it is uh, for whatever reason. And so we went to Just Be Show, we went to VegFest and we just got the brand out there. We tried, you know, put tempeh in front of people. We got them to taste the product and the reception was phenomenal. And it was actually at the Just V Show that we got contacted by Sal. Um, and Sal uh, was a buyer at Essential and was actually the first wholesaler. She said, you know, we told, you know, she asked us, oh, you know, are you listed with anyone at the moment? And we told her, no, we're not. We said, okay, um, when you're ready, just let me know. Right, here, here are my contact details, and we're like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" So, um, towards the end of 2019, when we got you know everything in place and we're ready to roll out, we got in touch with her, and Essential was actually the first wholesaler that listed us. So, um, yeah, she was obviously very bullish about the category. She was very bullish about the brand. Uh, we obviously worked quite hard to activate listings with Essential. So, um, when we were, it's one thing to be listed with the wholesaler. There's next thing to really drive sell through and to really drive volume through the wholesaler. So, initially, obviously pre-pandemic, um, in the early months of 2020, this meant going to their top retailers and literally walking from door to door with samples, being, "Hey, we're available with Essential." Would you like to take us? This is our price list. These are our products. Here are some samples. Go home, give them a try. And yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about these independent retailers is that they're all invariably lovely. <laughs> I've not met, I've not met a single owner of an independent health food store that's not just lovely. And um, they all come to, you know, for them, it's largely a a, a, um, a work of passion. Right. You know, they didn't go in mm -hmm. to the independent health foods trade to make millions and millions of pounds. They went in because they truly care about the authenticity of food. Um, and, 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 you know, they really care about, for example, organic food and food with, with heritage and provenance and that sort of thing. So it was just, yeah, it was just really fun going from door to door, selling the product in. Obviously, it's not something that could potentially scale. Um, unless you hire a big sales force, but one sort of, or one lesson I like to, you know, sort of say, um, to early stage founders is that at the very start, don't worry about doing things that can't scale. Mm -hmm. And in fact, try your best to do things that don't scale. Right. But, but have a view towards scaling it up one day. Right. <laughs> I know it sounds somewhat counterintuitive, but you know, your first hundred customers are your most important customers right? For, in your entire lifetime um, as a business. Your first 100 customers, if treated well, will onboard 50 new customers, go on board 50 more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And before, before you know it, you've got a snowball. So those first 100, you need to be, you know, you need to bend over backwards for them, right? If they ask you, if they ask something of you, you need to deliver it 110%. And that makes, that, and then, you know, what that means for an FMCG brand like us means making that whole experience as great as possible. Really, you know, um, you know if they're looking for on-shelf promo material, if they're looking for price promotions, if they're looking for flyers and posters and, and any sort of marketing material, you know, do it. It, it, it may cost you, uh, you know, it may cost you an arm, uh, but it, it, getting that momentum is super, super important. And you only have one chance to make a first impression. So yeah, it was a lot of door to door. Uh, it was, it was good fun. Um, but then obviously the pandemic hit and, you know, all and that I think we'll go into that stuff. in a second. Yeah, yeah. we'll go to that in a second. Now, now, Chris, what you've just given us there is, is three, four, maybe five minutes of just phenomenal 
information. That, that's absolutely amazing. I, I'm just going to pick a, some of that apart because there was so much in there. And I, I didn't want to stop you because I, I didn't want to stop your half flow. But mm. that point that you made right at the start about testing, you know, so many people I, I meet with businesses, they say they, they found a gap in the market, but they've not actually, you know, tested if there's a market within that gap. And mm. that idea of actually going out there, building an audience, that's so important because so often we go out to sell what we want to sell rather than finding out what people want to buy. So, you know, that idea of just getting out to market as soon as possible, don't wait until you've got a finished product, wait until you've got something that's representative that people can try and that they can give you feedback on. That is massively important for anyone who's just got a business idea, isn't it? So important. So important. It, it, yeah. I mean, at the heart of every business should be the customer, right? And I think given the opportunity or, or maybe in retrospect, I would have not wanted to go to Just Fear or VegFest. I mean, Just Fear and VegFest, you're speaking to the, you know, you're, you're preaching to the choir, right? These are your, your, your vegans, your vegetarians that attend these shows. I think I would rather have gone to just any ordinary street market. And I think that would have been the, the, the real reality check. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, if you know exactly who your customer is, and this should be influenced not by what you think your customer should be, but what your customer actually is, you know, the, uh, the customers are actually engaged with your brand. Once you know who they are, like obviously, you know, double click on that um, and, 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 and make your, your marketing approach, your brand as specific to that target customer as, as possible. Because, you know, the, the brands that really stick out are the brands that, um, li- you know, lie on a certain extreme, right? In, in, in Simon Sinek's words, you know, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, right? So for example, Nike, you know, some of the world's most powerful brands like Nike, you know, Nike is all about athleticism, you know, uh, bringing out the greatest, most powerful athlete in every person, right? So, you know, yeah, obviously the, the, the ordinary person who wears a Nike pair of shoes, so, you know, I'm a huge fan of Nike, by the way, I own three pairs of their shoes, I love, <laughs> I love them. But like, you know, I'm not a world-class marathon runner, you know, I am not Elliot Kipchoge, world marathon record holder um i'm just ordinary chris kong but when i put on those shoes i feel like elliot so i i love it and and you know basically how this translates to food or or any vegan business is that you want to create a brand that people want to aspire to be associated with so if you're all about fitness you know target that 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 fitness customer if you're all about health and wellness you know Think about how you can position your brand to be to be an embodiment of that health and wellness customer. And people that perhaps aren't super fit or, or aren't super into the fitness, if they want to aspire to be fit, you know, and, and, and join that tribe or that crowd, then they will have a natural draw towards your brand. Absolutely. And it's so important what you said about, you know, building a company around your customer. And it's no coincidence that some of the largest retail brands started out as market stalls, you know, because Mm. they couldn't hide from the customer. They had to understand what questions that customer was asking, what their reaction was be, what they want. Now, Mm. something else you mentioned there as well was that you first got picked up. I think it was by Essentials, you said, the wholesaler. So, So a lot of people think that when they're trying to get into independent stores, they do have to go and knock on the door of every single store and say, will you take my product? But there is a route of going through wholesalers first, isn't there? 100%. And I would, yeah, it, it is, you know, obviously you need to make that choice whether you want to go direct to the retailer, direct, you know, or, or through a wholesaler. Um, both 
So, you know, both options have the pros and cons. The greatest pros of going through a wholesaler is that, you know, retailers, they don't necessarily want to be receiving orders from, you know, 200 or 300 of the brands they stock because that's, you know, that's 300 potential packages every week. You know, that's like 50 packages, 60 packages every working day. It, it's too much, right? So um, working through a wholesaler just streamlines that whole process. And depending on the volume that the retailer sort of, uh, or the, the volume of orders that the retailer has, the wholesaler, they may get rebates or discounts on the total order value that they place with the wholesaler. So, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously if you go direct to retail, to retail, depending on how logistics costs work, it could actually work out more profitable for, for the brand. I just don't think it's necessarily a super scalable um, route to market. I agree with you as well, because so many people don't realize that a lot of the independent health shops, they do just restock from one catalog. So, you know, every week they get one delivery of all their stuff coming in from the catalog. So I know Essentials of one, uh, Holland and Barrett, so they've got their own catalog as well, which, you know, independent retailers can buy from. So it, it's it's something hidden, but a lot of people starting out on the journey don't quite realize. But um actually getting stocked and into a retailer, that's only half the job. And people quite often think that they've made it. So once a, stock, a shop said, yes, we'll, we'll take some of your products, we think, yeah, we've done it, we've got on some shelves. But if no one is actually buying that product, then that retailer is not going to keep uh, stocking it, is it? So what kind of work are you doing to actually drive traffic to go and buy your products off other people's shelves? Yeah, so you know, there, there, there's pre-pandemic and pandemic strategy, right? <laughs> Let's have so, them both. Let's have them both. Okay, let's start like pre-pandemic because that's, you know, I don't know, pandemic strategy is kind of like guerrilla strategy. You know, it's kind of just do whatever kind of works. Um, but pre-pandemic, it's tastings, right? It's really getting, you know, going to these stores, putting in the hard graph, the hours of, you know, pitching up a store, going in there and just handing out samples, and I did that with As Nature Intended before they got bought by uh, Plant Organic. Um, and, you know, that was huge, right? Like, you know, it, it, we could see a significant impact on the stores they were sampling at. To, to the extent that if I was there for an afternoon, three hours, say, four hours, handing out samples, that store would sell that store would sell their entire week's allocation of stock yeah. in that single afternoon. Right. It's, it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. I mean, um, when you think about the typical rate of sale of, let's say, a chilled food product of being maybe six to eight, you know, eight, you're doing really, really well units per week. Within those four hours, if I get eight customers to take one of my products off the shelf, I have met that week's that, that, that store's weekly quota. Right. Um, so super powerful um, sampling. Then there's obviously all the stuff you can do with on shelf material. So um, shelf barkers, um, flat in and in, sort of POS material as well. So leaflets, recipe cards, that sort of thing to really just engage with the customer when you're not there. Um, investing into marketing, right? So, um, so in, in some of these stores, you can pay to maybe get a banner put up or a um, some sort of poster on the wall. Perhaps they'll you know, ask that and you support, perhaps they'll accept that for free even. So these are also taxes you can do um, pre-pandemic or at least pre-pandemic really for, for, you know, for, for the sampling. Um, during the pandemic, obviously sampling goes out the window, 
Um, but everything else still stays, right? These, these retailers probably need your help more than ever um, or, or needed our help more than ever during a pandemic. I think um, leveraging social media, leveraging sort of our, our direct consumer uh, marketing channels or online digital channels was super powerful and getting customers to go to these stores, um, offering price promotions as well to, um, you know, especially you know, during a time when customers aren't necessarily, um, you know, super flagrant, let's say, with their discretionary spending. Um, yeah, those are, it, it's tough. It's tough during a pandemic when, you, when you're not allowed to go in, but there are definitely ways around it. Of course it is. And, and again, people don't always see that hard work that goes on in the background. You know, I, I know people who have, you know, done everything they can to get into a local retailer, but then just left it to that local retailer to try and make the sales. And what you're saying here is just like you said, you know, focusing on your first hundred actual buying customers is the most important thing you can do. Focusing on each store that's stocking your, your products is essential as well, especially in the early days. And it feels like it's not scalable. You'll think, well, when I'm in, you know, a hundred stores worldwide, you know, I can't do this, but it's it's about momentum, isn't it? Because mm. I'd be interested to actually know how long did it take from just getting in your first couple of stores to then being listed in 50, 100, 200 stores? You know, how did that momentum build? Yeah, it, it built very, very quickly. I, I think, um, you know, once once we got into Essential and we pulled those, you know, we, we proved that there was pull through there, getting other wholesalers, um, getting into other wholesalers became, you know, a relatively easier sell. You know, we could go to them with our sales reports with Essential and say like, hey, this is how well we've been performing with them. Uh, we reckon, you know, you target a very different um, geography. We reckon we could do very well with you as well. And yeah, so it became, it went from Essential to a couple more. And then before you know it, we're currently, I think we're now about eight wholesalers. Um, wow. And those eight wholesalers service about 220 to 250 retailers for us. So um, it was rather quick, actually. And I think it, it, I think there was maybe a couple reasons why. I think, you know, for us, tempeh, you know, is still quite a niche food ingredient. There are not many um, uh, suppliers of tempeh in the UK. So we're able to capitalize on that sort of niche market positioning. And the products were just super high quality and i think you know retailers they speak to each other right like um and you want them to be fans of your brand so you know during the pandemic when we weren't allowed to go into the stores it was a lot about just a lot of following up you know a lot about um so you know one of our team members anand he's amazing at this just calling in checking in asking how they're doing you know they're humans too and you know they've um especially during the early days of the pandemic they probably saw footfall drop off a cliff, right? When everyone was shielding and hiding. So yeah, it's about checking in on them, asking how they're doing and really connecting them, connecting with them on an emotional level, understanding their needs and seeing what we could do as a, as a business. Cause really at the end of the day, it's a partnership. It's a two way street. The better you treat them, the better they'll treat you. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think, I think those efforts were definitely, uh, well responded to retailers started spreading the word to each other. And it grew from, I think we hit our first 50 retailers within a couple of months uh, from, from launch. And then we hit our first hundred, I think by the middle of the year, obviously like everything is sort of out the, you know, the pandemic has made everything really weird. Uh, and then we hit about 200 retailers towards the end of the year. So um, around October, October, November time. 
And that is stunning growth. And one thing that you mentioned there that you, I think you glossed over a little bit, you didn't quite do yourself credit, was the Better Nature brand. I mean, I, I, I can tell, and I come from a branding background, but I can tell looking at your packs, they're quite innovative. They're very colorful. They've got a lot of pickup ability. They are the sort of product which you would see on a shelf and go and say, oh, what's that? Let's, let's go take a look at that. You've developed quite a cool brand. And that is so important for retailers to see something that they know people will walk into their store and go, oh, what's that? Let's, let's take a look at this. I, I think you've mentioned to me before that you, you are your branding expert within the company. They're, they're, you've got other people who've done this for you. Absolutely. But, yeah, absolutely. But just tell me a little bit about developing that brand. Yeah. So, I mean, the credit is entirely due to Ellen and Ursha. So Ursha is our head of design. Ellen's our head of marketing and a fellow co-founder. Um, yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. Um, so I don't want to do them uh, yeah, obviously, I, I, I hope I do them justice uh, with what I'm about to say, but really, what is a brand? You know, a brand is an, an identity that a fictional identity that people can affiliate with and people can see themselves in, right? And what that means about creating a character. Uh, uh, in fact, even maybe a, a persona that people want to be affiliated with. And elements of that persona obviously need to resonate with your target customer. You know, for us, you know, if, if I were to speak about us, it's about having that human kind of tone of voice that doesn't really take itself too seriously, that is all about, you know, that, that isn't this, you know, um, holier than God sort of preachy type type um, type character, but just sort of does his own thing and and just you know has jokes around of it, but is authentic, super authentic. It's brave, it's bold, and it 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 strongly believes in protein without compromise, right? It truly believes in, in that mission, and it'll stop at nothing to achieve that mission but doesn't sort of slam, you know, doesn't really slam the message into people's throats. So yeah, I mean, it's about really creating that mission, creating that sort of strategy, right, for us, which is protein without compromise and making sure that every bit of the business is aligned to that strategy, right? So everything from our sales to our R&D, to our product and obviously to our marketing sort of is aligned with that protein without compromise strategy. And behind that sort of protein without compromise strategy, we have what we call the without compromise sort of um, policy or these brand pillars, you know, what does without compromise mean? And that's where we sort of break down um, what we mean by without compromising to people, the planet and animals. And by ad adhering to these super strict set of rules, we're able to create a very consistent and reliable sort of brand, right? And, and, and a brand that consumers can trust, right? All this consistency, all this reliability builds trust. And at the end of the day, that's what a brand does. A brand, all a brand does is that it tries to build trust with a customer because yeah, you know, would you buy would you buy a random pair of shoes down the street? You know, if it's got nothing, no branding on it, probably not. But you slap Nike on it, and you know, you instantly know that it's going to be super high quality. That's trusted by the world's greatest athletes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, you're going to be more inclined to pick up that pair of shoes. Same same thing goes with with Tempe, right? If you see just a 
a completely unpackaged block of tempeh, you'd probably be like, oh, I mean, do I know it's going to taste good? Like, what, what's in it? Um, is it going to go off? Right? Like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, hopefully you put a Better Nature brand on it and people are like, oh, wow, yes, I've heard of Better Nature before. They're reliable. They're consistent. I love their brand values. You know, the whole, you know, their whole spiel about without compromise, the fact that they're carbon and plastic negative. I love all of that. I'm going to buy them. So, yeah, it's about, you know, in terms of the actual execution of the brand, that's, I, I really cannot speak about that because Ellen and Orsha are just like operating on a different level. But, you know, what, you know, I think what Ellen's done an incredible job of is making sure that every part of the business is aligned to that greater strategy. And that is really the only way you get cut through because if one part of your business behaves in a way that runs contrary to that authentic, you know, to, to that brand, it, it, it not only just creates tension internally, but obviously disrupts that, that image and the level of trust that you have your customers. So every single person, for example, that we hire at Best Nature needs to be a true embodiment of that brand. Um, you know, they need to have to do it here to the brand's values, right? Be it human, brave, curious, etc. And every sort of execution of the brand whether it's in product development or sales, needs to be true to what we mean by without compromise. So that that brand message pulls through the entire business. So yeah. that's super long-winded, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's worth the saying, uh, well, asking the question, are Better Nature sponsored by Nike at the moment? <laughs> I'm so no, no, we're not, we're not. But hey, hey yeah. Yeah. one day, I think you may be working towards that. Okay, but I mean, I mean, just picking up on what you were saying there, mm. the, the skill of your design team, of course, is taking all the ethos that you're just talking about, taking you know all the things that you believe with, and putting that into a visual aspect, so that mm. you know people can see that on, at the point of purchase. Uh, just moving beyond this, though, so we've talked about physical retailers and you know the the local independent shops, um, but I know that you are listed on people like. Um, uh, you know, the vegan kind, you, you're listed in Planet Organic and various, you know, great online retailers. So uh, what was the journey to get into them? Because I, I've had conversations with, um, you know, the vegan kind. I've spoken to, I think it's uh, Jenna, who's their head buyer. Mm. And, she, and she told me, you know, you really have to have something different now to get them excited to get stocked. They're not out there looking for another vegan snack bar, for instance, because they've got pages and pages of them. So how did you start those conversations? Was that through the wholesalers as well, or did you go direct? It was, you know, a bit of both, actually. In fact, getting um, a listing with the vegan kind was what got us into one of our wholesalers. <laughs> um, because as soon as Jenna sort of, uh, you know, as soon as Jenna sort of gave us the green light and said, like, hey, yeah. we love this brand. You know, we work with this wholesaler. We only buy from this wholesaler. You know, do you, can you please engage with them and let, tell them that we've given you the green light and they, they should take you on. Um, yeah, like it, it was about, yeah. So it was definitely a bit of a, a two, sorry, um, a bit of a balancing act mm -hmm. between managing a relationship with the vegan kind and then using that relationship to sort of catapult us in to that wholesaler to be able to fulfill, um, that, that demand. Um, but yeah, you know, how do we get on Jenna's? Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't think we met at a trade show. So it was definitely just through cold emailing and just being persistent. And I think emails, you know, especially now during the pandemic, it's basically the only way you can get the attention of these buyers. 
Um, you know, gone are the days where you could go to some sort of trade show and meet up with them or some sort of live pitching event. Everything just happens online now. So it's about being really smart with how you position an email. You know, it's about you know, in terms of the title, in terms of the content, keeping it short, keeping it punchy and supplementing that with your digital marketing strategy, right? So digital marketing is as much of building um, revenues as it is about building brand awareness these days, right? So um, I don't see, when it comes to digital marketing, I don't see it as a pure play revenue generating strategy. I see it as a large, largely a brand building exercise because, you know, I bet you Jenna is gonna be scrolling through her Instagram one evening and if she sees your brand and she, you know, you're not listed with them and it takes all of her boxes in terms of being innovative, being new, being fresh, et cetera, et cetera, and obviously being vegan, you know, she may drop you a line, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, and this applies not just obviously to Jenna, uh, the vegan kind, but this applies to any buyer at any retailer. Um, so I think in this current climate, when it's quite difficult to get the attention of buyers, you just need to be quite savvy about how you get their attention. Um, emails, obviously just, just one way. I mean, you could even just go for it, you know, run an out of home ad campaign and see who picks it up. LinkedIn is such a powerful tool that I feel is, you know, I think largely speaking underutilized by brands. Um, and it could be a really good, great way of getting cut through to the buyer. So yeah, I mean, with these online retailers, it was very much the same process, I think, you know, of of creating a very coherent, very concise, very um, obviously, yeah, engaging value proposition and communicate, communicating that in, in as best of a way as possible. Yeah, and, and I think that point about visibility is just mm-hmm. so important. And especially in your early days, it, it can seem like you're going out there, you're doing the trade shows, you're doing all this work and you're getting nothing back. But it's because it doesn't happen straight away. Mm-hmm. You have to build up that momentum, build up that awareness. You know, in marketing, we always talk about touch points and people need to have seen your brand it seven different times in seven different ways before they even realize that they've seen it. You know, and when I've spoken to buyers myself, they have said they'll go to the trade shows, but they don't always pick up people the first time they see them. They want to say, actually, I've got my eye on you and if you're here again next year and you've bought up a bit of momentum then maybe we'll start talking to you you know you've Mm. done that groundwork already Um, so yeah absolutely visibility is so important but finally in terms of retail so you're selling in all these different physical stores and online stores but you're also selling direct yourself through amazon and your own website so what, what what kind of percentage of sales do you get actually just direct yourself yeah so um it's, it's wild, I guess. I mean, and, and probably of no surprise uh, during the pandemic, 70% of our sales now, today, wow. come direct to consumer via wow. our own website or Amazon. So, um, yeah, it, it's phenomenal. It, it, it's really exciting. As a brand, it's probably not a direction we thought we were going to go down when we first mm-hmm. launched in early 2020. Um, but from the get-go, and you know, this goes back to what I meant about you know, what I was talking about in terms of iteration and getting feedback from the very beginning, we had an online store, right? Before we were even listed with Essential, we had an online store. And the whole point of that online store wasn't necessarily to drive tons and tons of volume. It was just to get customer feedback. You know, if we were able to engage in that one-to-one dialogue with our customer, that's probably the greatest 
channel of, you know, that, that's, that's the greatest connection we're ever going to get um, in terms of being able to get feedback on our products and not just that, but build a community, you know, being able to treat those first 100, mm-hmm. 200, 300 customers um, it, it, as, as best as we can. Uh, we, it started off as this, you know, opportunity for us just to build a community and to have some fun and and to get some feedback and to maybe um, I don't know run some really quick and dirty tests with with those first 100 200 early adopters uh, but it's now become you know <laughs> our biggest single biggest channel um, and that's so. I mean that's fascinating but you said you started out with that shop because I know one reason that brands don't like to go direct to consumer is they're worried about going in competition you know going into competition with their stockists you know, so if people mm. are already stocking their products, they don't want to be competing against them. So, but if you already had that store from day one, then you were very open about that, saying, "Look, we're also selling this ourselves, but we want to sell it to wider people too." Exactly. I mean, to be honest, that that sort of point that point has never been brought up. No wholesaler or retailer has ever come to us and say, "Well, you also sell in your online store, therefore we're not going to list you." That's never ever come up. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're only exclusively sold through retail and have no online presence, your customers are going to be forced to to buy, you know, to buy you from from retail stores. But I think the pandemic has really just flipped everything on its head, right? Um, I, I think it's largely immoral if retailers, you know, if if you force your customers to have to go out to retailers to pick up your stuff when you when 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 you could potentially explore shipping products directly to your door um, and to help people who are shielding, uh, etc. So. Yeah, no, like that, that has never, that has never really come up. And I mean, I love our retailers, but I love our customers more. So whatever brings our customers the best value, um, that's what we're going to go for. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes people have these fears of what people are going to think, but it, it's not always the case, is it? I mean, people understand how the world works, you know, and mm. if somebody is building awareness for brand, that's good for the retailer as much as it is, you know, the company who's selling it as well. But talking about visibility, especially, uh, one thing that we're always advising people do is try and do collaborations with other vegan brands, because as much as you can, there's only two ways to build an audience. Either you have to buy the audience, and that's not always buying with money, it's buying with your time as well to go out there and build it up or you can piggyback other people's audiences and so i was actually very excited to see when you did your collaboration with one planet pizza because you know mike from one planet he, he is a, a a friend of a show we like to say you know he, he we've done quite a lot with him at vegan business tribe but you released a masala tempatation pizza so <laughs> that, that's brilliant that you did that in, in collaboration so how did that conversation start yeah, I mean, uh, Mike and Joe from One Planet Pizza, they're amazing guys. And um, yeah. it, it was really just us, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, we've got this new product we think would do amazing on your pizza. Can I send you some samples? Can I get you to try them and let me know what you think? And they did that. They, they received, you know, they were, they were kind enough to, to, to respond to our email and they got some samples and they loved it. And they ran with this uh, limited edition pizza. Uh, we've actually got... Yeah, I can't, I can't say too much, but, you know, the relationship with One Planet Pizza is still strong. Um, and uh, I, I, I just tell viewers to <laughs> keep your eyes peeled uh, on, on, on this space. <laughs> Absolutely. But I mean, that, that's fascinating that all you did was simply reach out because mm. people have these ideas all the time. They say, you know, wouldn't it be great if, wouldn't it be great if? 
go and see, you know, go and actually reach out, make that contact. Because mm. if you're vegan yourself and you're reaching out to someone who you also know is ethically vegan and trying to help the cause move forwards, they're probably going to be open to talking to you. I mean, that's mm. what I find. I've, I've got into contact and I've linked up with some people who in any other industry, I wouldn't get a chance of speaking to. But because we've got that point of ethical commonality, they're always open for a conversation. Mm, exactly exactly and and don't be afraid just to put yourself out there you know um if you if you don't try you're never going to get so yeah email the ceo of tesco why not <laughs> you know he or she may not get back to you but you know who knows he or she may Absolutely. Well, I, I do know that Tesco's um, head of plant-based is, is, is vegan himself. I know because mm. I, I am linked to him on LinkedIn. You know? Yeah, Derek. I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Derek Sano is a great guy. But, you know, in terms of just being able to reach out and get access to these people, when you've got that commonality between you, it, it, it's a brilliant tool to be able to use. Mm. So, uh, uh, Chris, this has been absolutely brilliant. You've given us so much information here, and I can only thank you for that. But I'm going to ask you for, for one last tip before we, before we close. So if you were looking to give advice to a vegan company, who was a few years behind you. No, so perhaps they're, they're just making something amazing in their kitchen and they want to know how to take that next step. What, what would your main bit of advice be to that business? Mm. Can, I, can I offer two? The first thing would be test, 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 right? And it, it can be uncomfortable it, and it should be uncomfortable, right? Because if it's too comfortable, then... You know, you've waited too long, basically. Right? Should be uncomfortable. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, um, destroy your brand's, brand's reputation before you even get started. Obviously, you want to put something that's, that, that you yourself are confident about in front of your customers. But don't wait too long. You know, test. And I think in today's sort of um, digital first sort of environment now, it's easier than ever to get people to taste your stuff. Um, so, so test, test, test. Second would be, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, at least in the early stages, don't be too engrossed about scaling, right? Because scale will happen if you have a loyal band of customers that rave about you. Because those customers that rave about you will tell you to, you know, will tell, will tell their friends and their family about you. And, you know, we all know what an R factor is <laughs> now, and we all know the impact of what an R factor greater than one does, right? So, yeah, um, if your R factor <laughs> is greater than one, i.e. more than one person that you sell your product to tells more than one other person about your brand, then before you know it, you know, you're a worldwide sensation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in, in the early days, don't think too much about scaling. Think about um, just customer delight. And, you know, maybe as you grow, you may have to pull back on some of the activities you did earlier on because it's too time consuming. Or perhaps you find a way to do them at a prof in, in a profitable way. But either way, you know, if you don't have that loyal band of customers from the get-go, you're never going to create a long-lasting and successful brand. Absolutely. And that's brilliant advice. And I don't think you're the first person to try and tag uh, business growth to virology. I think that's a brilliant <laughs> thing we could learn. Now, Chris, mm. thank you so much for your time today. But before we go, if people want to find out and more importantly, try Better Nature, where do they go? How do they do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way would be to come to our website. So it's uh, www.betternaturefoods.co, uh, betternaturefoods.co. And on there, um, yeah, you'll be able to buy our full selection of products. And if you want to keep up to date with what we're up to, you can sign up to our newsletter. You can also do that on our website and sign up to our Instagram at betternature underscore. That's brilliant. So we've been talking to Chris Kong, the co-founder of Better Nature Foods. Thank you for your time, Chris. Uh, this has been absolutely brilliant. Everyone's going to take so much away from this, and I hope we get to speak to you again. All right. Thank you so much, David. It's my pleasure. And that was an amazing interview. And I have to admit, when I was listening back to this with you just now, I was scribbling down loads of notes, and I hope that you were doing the same. As I said in the beginning, this interview is taken from our scale-up series on the Vegan Business Tribe website. And if this has inspired you to now scale up your own vegan business faster, then do come and engage with us at Vegan Business Tribe so that we can support you in doing just that. Because we've got the most amazing community of vegan business owners that you will ever meet. Even if you're at the pre-launch stage or you've got an idea at the moment surrounding yourself with other people who are on the same mission as you are and share the same ethics you know the people who you can say that you've got a vegan business to and then don't have to spend the next 20 minutes explaining why surrounding yourself with these people it really helps you find that success with your business so much quicker. And when you sign up as a Vegan Business Tribe member, as well as getting access to our community, you also get access to all our content, our networking meetups, our community hub on Slack, as well as a welcome one-to-one on Zoom with myself and Lisa, so that we can find out more about your vegan business or just your idea for one and see how we can help. So, time for the big sell now. Just head over to veganbusinesstribe.com, click on the big join button on the homepage, and you'll see everything that you get as a Vegan Business Tribe member. And it's all for just £12.99 a month. And if you really love what we're doing at Vegan Business Tribe, and if you're in a position to help out that little bit more, then you can also sign up as one of our patrons for £99 a month. And you get all the same access and benefits as a full member gets, but you're also really helping our mission to champion vegan businesses worldwide, and we'll do what we can to shout about your mission too. And that's it for this episode. And gosh, it's been a long one. So I'll let you go now. But again, thank you so much for giving up your time to listen. We wouldn't be able to make the change in the business scene that we're making without people like you actually wanting to launch and grow a vegan business. And hopefully we'll be able to help you do just that. So thank you for your time. And I will see you on the next one.